Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. House Democrats take a floor vote today on whether to strip Georgia Congress member Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments after Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from Bakersfield, refused to take such action, though condemned comments that she's made. Greene has endorsed executing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and has said getting freedoms back are earned with, quote, the price of blood. She's claimed the Parkland school shooting that killed 17 was faked that California's wildfires were started by a laser from space controlled by a Jewish family, and made other anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, and racist comments. Joining me now to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene and to understand better Kevin McCarthy's decision not to sanction her, Marisa Lagos. Marisa Lagos is KQED's uh, politics correspondent and also co-host of Political Breakdown. Marisa, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Mina, how are you? I am well. That was just such a strange introduction that I had to read. <laughs> when you think about trying to summarize some of the things that she said to give our audience a sense of, of who Marjorie Taylor Greene is. But first, can you just talk a little bit about what happened yesterday? And, uh, and as Democrats prepare for a floor vote, what you expect to hear today? Yeah, well, they're actually debating it right now. I have a feeling they're going to vote momentarily. So we'll be able to update people on ultimately what has happened with Congresswoman Green and her committee assignments. But, you know, this has really been brewing, well, arguably for years in the Republican Party, but has come to a head over the past few weeks um, following that insurrection at the Capitol and the fallout from that. And what we're really seeing is this schism between um, sort of more traditional establishment Republicans, like the number three in the House, Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming, who is, of course, the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, uh, who did vote for impeachment and has been really pushed by the right wing of the caucus. Um, uh, you know, they, they've asked for her to be expelled from leadership. Um, there was a kind of lopsided vote yesterday with, I think, 145 Republicans voting to keep her in that spot. Um, and then, you know, this decision by Representative Kevin McCarthy to not expel her from the committees, which Democrats had warned that they would move to do if he decided not to take her at least off of uh, 
I think the, the most prominent one that folks are really concerned about is education committee. Um, and I think a lot of the anger, obviously, over her previous denials of the Parkland shooting and, and, and other things, um, you know, following David Hogue, one of the victims of that, a, a college student now, and honestly trolling him on Twitter in some cases. So um, it, this is, you know, going to be a really big, no matter what happens today, I think it's pretty likely that she gets removed from those committees. This is a real big problem for Republican leadership heading into, you know, the 2022 elections um, and just sort of figuring out who they are as a party after Trump. Well, I want to play a little bit of tape from Kevin McCarthy, who addressed reporters after the closed door House Republican conference meeting, where he basically told reporters that Green admitted some mistakes for some of her statements. I think it would be helpful if you could hear exactly what she told all of us, denouncing QAnon. I don't know if I say it right. I don't even know what it is. Um, any from the shootings. She said she knew nothing about lasers or all the different things that have been brought up about her. First, Marisa, what's your reaction to McCarthy there? I mean, it's... <laughs> I don't even know what the right word is. It's really disingenuous to claim he doesn't know what QAnon is. I mean, if you've been an adult watching the news, which obviously he is as, as the head of the Republican caucus in the House, we all know what QAnon is. We all know um, what people are concerned about. Um, you know, McCarthy is... I think you could say kind of trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He's really trying not to anger the base of the Republican Party, who still stands with Trump, um, supporters of people like Congresswoman Green, who think that she is being vilified, you know, by the Democrats and the mainstream media, um, but also, I think, sort of maintains some legitimacy with more traditional Republicans and, and kind of the broader American public. And I think it's too soon to tell whether that's going to really play out. But I think it's a it's a dangerous calculation to make to some extent, because this is clearly um, a real battle within the party for question, you know, for questions of where to go from here and, and how to win states. I mean, I know we're going to be talking more about Marjorie Green Taylor's home state of, of Georgia, which flipped blue and is a big, I think, kind of warning sign in the South for Republicans. Um, not to say that it's like a walk in the park for Democrats to take that or to keep it. But, the, you know, these are the questions that I think McCarthy is really struggling with. And obviously, he would love to knock out Speaker Pelosi and become the speaker in 2022. But his refusal to sanction her, I mean, is he answering to his caucus? Is he answering to his constituency? I mean, I know he represents the 23rd Congressional District, one of California's most conservative. It's home to the ag and oil industries. Mm -hmm. It voted for Trump. But would that be a district that would, you know, punish McCarthy for sanctioning her? Yeah, I mean, that's always the interesting thing. This is why we often see leaders in both parties come from very safe districts. Look at Pelosi in San Francisco, right? She might get some challenges from the, the left flank, but she's not come close to losing an election here. Um, I just look, went back to look at the, you know, statistics in Congressional District 23. This includes parts of Kern County, Tulare County, and L.A. County. This is Kevin McCarthy's district. It's 41% Republican. As you said, that's one of the highest um, sort of Republican-dominated districts in the state. He won 62 to 38. I don't think Democrats have launched a serious challenge to him. Um, you know, but it, it, we're talking about an 11-point spread between Democrats and Republicans. Democrats have 30%, and no party preference or 21%. So perhaps there could be some opportunity there. I mean, it is a 
the more conservative district. I think the bigger problem for McCarthy isn't his own seat, but his kind of broader future within the party and the party's sort of ability to main, you know, grab control back of Congress um, to move on potentially past Trump, assuming he's not going to run in 24. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Um, and I think this is something, you know, McCarthy comes from a pretty um, moderate kind of uh, his predecessor, the congressman who kind of trained him, he worked for before he ran for state office. He's a very moderate centrist Republican. And McCarthy has repeatedly tacked further right, I think, most uh, most sort of you know, extremely with his embracing of Trump and really standing by the president these past four years, former president these past four years. Um, and so I do think that he is in a tough spot and one that is going to continue to challenge him regardless of what happens with one member out of Georgia. Again, Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED. What are your questions and reactions to McCarthy's decision not to sanction Green? What do you think this incident says about the identity or future of the Republican Party? You can weigh in by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. Also joining us now is Greg Bluestein, politics and government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg Bluestein, glad to have you on Forum. Thanks for having me. We were just talking about Kevin McCarthy's district here in California. Really curious about Marjorie Taylor Greene's district. She defeated a more moderate Republican in the primary, a neurosurgeon who lived in the district and was warning state Republican leaders about Marjorie Taylor Greene's extremism. Can you describe her her trajectory there and her support? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't even know if he was more moderate. He was actually calling himself the conservative without the crazy. He said all the conservatism without the uh, controversial opinions. But you know, that's you such a good point because moderate has has sort of changed it in meaning, almost to become meaningless. But anyway, go right ahead. Exactly. But look, she actually came from the more moderate suburbs of Metro Atlanta. She was running against a Democratic representative in the metro Atlanta suburbs, Lucy McBath, a first-term congresswoman at the time. Um, and then she decided to switch races and move to Northwest Georgia, move to a very conservative part of the state, very rural, um, very solidly Republican, to run for this open seat. She was called a carpetbagger. She was called all sorts of names. But she emerged as the front runner um, in, in part because of her controversial outspoken stances and in part because she also dumped about a million dollars of her own money and had a, a campaign infrastructure that was ready to, to, to already roll because she had already been running um, for, the, for the other congressional seat. So she emerged as this front runner, but it's important to remember that she's not some sort of backwoods pumpkin or anything like that. She comes from a very wealthy background in Metro Atlanta. And one of the things I was struck by was a description you had of her district, that it was one where there's not a very dominant news source and that a lot of the people say that they get their news from either social media or very conservative outlets. Exactly. Um, this is not a market like in Metro Atlanta that's dominated by major TV stations and the newspaper I work for, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Um, it's, it's some smaller to mid-sized cities. Um, there's no big population center in this market. And as I interviewed people um, up in the 14th district, um, you know, each one of them said that they don't rely on the, what they call the mainstream media, the corporate media for news. They, they resort to social media. They resort to conservative outlets. Many of those outlets and in, in, in social media sites um, echoing the same conspiracy theories and falsehoods that Marjorie Taylor Greene staked her campaign on. And so then are you saying that they're 
sympathetic or believe those falsehoods or it's more of a question of just tribalism in terms of Democrats versus Republicans? I'd say a mix of both. I talked to many voters up there who, who did believe and, 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 and praised Marjorie Taylor Greene for her stance on President Trump, for echoing these false claims of widespread voter fraud. She went to rallies and talked about how the election was rigged, but she's still standing with President Trump. Um, so voters who liked a fighter. And it was really hard to see um, other Republicans get any sort of oxygen in that race because Marjorie Taylor Greene was saying such outlandish things because videos and statements that she had made in prior years were becoming such a controversy that some there was a rallying around the f- flag effect. Some voters wanted to reward her for those stances, for her racist remarks, for her QAnon beliefs, for whatever, you know, whatever came out um, as as indication that she was willing to fight for President Trump. Well, we've got some calls coming in. Let me start with Carl in San Francisco. Hi, Carl. Hi, Carl. Is there something you want to say? Yes, I just wanted to say that I'm a liberal Democrat who really believes that the Democrats are going down the wrong road. I think the Republicans should um, hang, uh, you know, die on their own sword. I think if we attack them for Marjorie Taylor Greene, what happens is we look bad. And what I think is the Republicans need to own their own mistakes with her. And I'll take my comments offline. Mm, Carl, thanks for that. Marisa Lagos, your reaction to Carl's assessment of this? I mean, I think this is part of the debate playing out on the Democratic side. But I I think what you're hearing from, you know, the Democratic members, and they are taking a vote on this right now so far, a six, uh, well, it's it's very early. They're just starting to vote here. Um, I think that what Democrats in Congress would say is that sitting on a committee like education is a powerful and important position that allowing somebody with these types of fringe beliefs and quite frankly racist and anti-semitic past statements is just inappropriate um and i think you know they're trying to dispatch with this quickly the same way that i think they'll try to dispatch with the impeachment quickly um and you know and i think that that'll probably continue to be a debate but the truth is you know it's it's january um or february excuse me uh biden's been in office for a few weeks i i don't see that as long as they don't get bogged down in this for months and months and actually can pass a lot of Biden's agenda and bring Americans relief, I don't know that politically it's going to haunt them uh, longer term. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think that these are the types of debates that we we often see happening, you know, play out within a party in terms of um, how much to respond to the opposition. Um, it's just so much more extreme this time. And, and I think that there's a real sense, especially given what happened on January 6th and the fact that some of the past things that um, uh, Representative Green has has put out on social media have really called for violence against people, including Nancy Pelosi. This isn't just, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, a, a, a hypothetical anymore to a lot of these members who, as we heard from someone like Ocasio-Cortez, you know, huddled for hours afraid for her life on January 6th. Maybe it may not haunt the Democratic Party, but Greg Bluestein, are you seeing that it might haunt the Republican Party? You wrote a piece with an interesting headline where you were talking about how the situation in Georgia is dicey for Republicans. Oh, exactly. Um, The AJC just released a poll a few days ago that showed Democrats in Georgia had a far better standing than Republicans, which you know, in California is not a big shock, but in Georgia is complete sea change. Um, and it continues to reflect the new political dynamic here after Democrats flipped 
Georgia in a presidential race for the first time since 92, and then followed up with two Senate sweeps um, in the runoffs here that flipped control of the chamber. These were, these were earthquakes in Georgia's political world in a state that was seen as so reliably red not that, far, not that long ago that Democrats had a problem just summoning up recruiting challengers for many of these Republican states statewide. And now they're competing across the board. Um, Republicans are in a tricky situation. And Republicans would tell me back in June and August when, when Marjorie Taylor Greene was, 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 some of her comments were first being exposed, that they were worried that she would be branded as the face of the Republican Party in Georgia. And that's, not only has that happened, she's now being branded as the face of the National Republican Party. It's exactly what Democrats want to do, is they want to paint all, the, all Republicans with the Marjorie Taylor Greene brushstroke. And that's a real big fear for Republicans here, that she'll weigh down, she'll, she'll serve as an anchor to the Republican ticket going forward. Well, this listener tweets, poof, that's the sound of 20 GOP Senate seats in 2022. After losing the House, the Senate and the presidency in a two-year period, they still haven't figured it out. Prophet Graham knew. That said, though, Marisa Lagos, and I know you were saying that you think ultimately that this may not haunt the Democratic Party. Let's just talk a little bit about why ultimately they, Republicans, McCarthy included, did make this decision. I mean, it does, we can see the playbook, right, as it's right now being played out, the one that was also used around Trump in terms of, you know, basically saying we we condemn what she's saying, we hate what she's saying, but it's not to the degree where you would strip her of her committee assignments, for example, right? And you then alternatively put the blame on Democrats saying that they're, you know, starting this slippery slope to allow another party to strip people uh, of their committees, for example, uh, in, in a vote like this on the House floor, that this sets a bad precedent. You're also seeing comments about how we allow Democrats to do this. And basically what we're doing is we're, we're victimizing a Marjorie Taylor Greene. While we don't like what she's saying, what we dislike more is, you know, quote unquote, the thought police of the Democratic side. Those things resonate. Yeah, I mean, but look, this is a member who even a large, you know, number, I mean, looking at, at the report, excellent reporting out of Atlanta, um, not even all Republicans support her or her viewpoints. And I think that, yes, I think that if, 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 if this is a move that, that then portends stripping of every committee every time a Republican doesn't, you know, says something Democrats don't like, that would be a total boon. I also think, Mina, and, you know, I'm part of it, but those of us in the media, especially those, you know, in DC, we, we spend a lot of time talking about process and I, and I know that this is a real move, but it, it's true. And I just don't think the American people writ large are as obsessed with it as we are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when you hear this around this like question of bipartisanship around Joe Biden and then you look at polls and the truth is people want stimulus checks. They want Congress to do the people's work. I don't think most Americans are sitting here like I am with C-SPAN on watching this debate over one member, right? And she is one member of 435. So I think it is on both sides a PR fight more than anything else. Um, and I'm not sure where it'll end up. But it, it is clear that she does represent a wing of the party 
a far right wing of the party um, and that that is not necessarily um, in itself, you know, her beliefs are not something that, that that all Republicans subscribe to. So the question is, do then the sort of rank and file, the, the members throughout, you know, people who identify with the Republican Party throughout the country close ranks around someone like her? I'm not sure that they would um, in the same way. But again, I mean, we have to see how this plays out. If this looks like Democrats are moving on from this and, and continuing to, you know, what Republicans say, abuse their power, that would be a different conversation. We're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED and co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown. And also we're talking with Greg Bluestein, politics and government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You, our listeners, are also with us, and you can weigh in by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email us at forum at kqed.org or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. What are your questions about and reactions to the decision not to sanction Green? What do you think this incident says about the identity, the future of the Republican Party? We'll have more with you and our guests after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. House Democrats are holding a vote today on whether to strip Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene of her committee assignments after she spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, called the Parkland, Florida school shooting a hoax and encouraged violence against top Democrats. We're getting reactions and analysis from Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent at KQED, and Greg Bluestein, politics and government reporter at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And you, our listeners as well, 866-733-6786, the number. Marshall in San Jose, join us. Hi, Marshall. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, and I appreciate the conversation. I just wanted to add that I, I disagree somewhat that this is kind of a mundane topic for C-SPAN. I think if you view this incident in light of kind of the recent events at the Capitol, as well as, you know, kind of how tr Steve King was treated a few years ago when he made similar comments and was stripped of his committee ships and basically vaporized um, from, from the electorate, I think it points to a really scary radicalization of the Republican Party that's been happening over the last 30 years that has really hit its exponential stride over the last couple of years. Um, and I think part of that is you'll see that the standing ovations that Marjorie Taylor Greene had, this wasn't handled in a very professional manner. There were signals being sent out to the public. And I don't know if they're applauding the fact that she lied the first time, is lying now, or is the type of candidate that has basically liberated this party from any kind of bonds of truth or reality. Um, so it's a really scary moment. So I think viewed in a broader context, it is a significant moment. And um, thank you for taking my call. Well, Marshall, I think you raise really core questions, which is exactly what we want to explore right now. Greg Bluestein, Steve King was removed from his committee assignments for making remarks questioning why white supremacy is considered offensive. I mean, compared to Marjorie Taylor Greene, that, that is the fact that they would be willing to do that then for Steve King and not mm. now for Marjorie Taylor Greene with the kinds of extremism that she is, that she has promoted. 
is and has promoted does raise the broader question for the Republican Party. If it's not worth even stripping her of her committees for that, what is and what does it say about the shift in the Republican Party? Yeah, and look, and one of the distinction Republicans will point out was that Steve King made those while he was in office, whereas these comments were made by Marjorie Taylor Greene before she was in office and in some cases before she was a candidate. That being said, for, for a lot of the Democrats I've talked to, that, that line is, is, is incendiary, is racist, is xenophobic, is anti-Semitic of, of her remarks were the, another sort of line was crossed when it was revealed that she had endorsed Facebook posts, social media messages, calling for the execution of Speaker Pelosi and top Democrats. That to them was was a line that you can't you can't go back from. As, as bad as all the other things she did, uh, questioning whether 9-11 happened, questioning the murders of school children in Parkland um, and other mass shootings, that was condoning the execution, the killing, the murders of her colleagues was something that, that they could not let stand. Well, Michael tweets, how and why is being stripped of her committee assignments the appropriate sanction for Green's previous activities? What is the precedent? Why not expel her from the House? Let me go to Tobin and Martinez. Hi, Tobin. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, you know, all the points made about her uh, deriding Democrats, she, uh, she's also uh, spoken pretty disparagingly about uh, some Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, calling him Mr. Turtle. You know, and I'm shocked that she even has any uh, support at all among Republicans. I know he's gone against her, but, you know, uh, I imagine any moment now she's going to say something derogatory about McCarthy. Um, Thank you, Tobin. Marisa Lagos, let me get your reaction to what Tobin is saying Uh, in terms of there has been definitely different rhetoric from the Senate side versus a lot of the House side, though there have also been House members who have spoken out against her. Uh, I'm thinking about Mitch McConnell basically saying that Marjorie Taylor Greene is a cancer on the Republican Party or that or that her embrace of loony lies and conspiracy theories, rather, is a cancer for the Republican Party. And North Carolina Senator Tom Tillis saying that it's beyond reprehensible for any elected official, especially a member of Congress, to parrot violent QAnon rhetoric and so on. But I, I think the question is, how how much of that really translates into substantive uh, kind of consequences for a Marjorie Taylor Greene, or whether ultimately it's yeah. about bad rhetoric, but then having overall unity of the party? Well, I think this actually links to a, a bigger kind of discussion that, you know, we're going to be having in the coming year, which is around redistricting and, and gerrymandering. And the fact of the matter is you have senators, I mean, I think we could have an entire hour on on the Senate and and whether it's representative, given um, how many more you know people Democrats, the fifty Democrats represent. I think some forty million more people than the fifty Republicans in the Senate. But it is, I think, it, it has maintained a lot of the more moderate sort of. Um, ideas and and um you know you have 435 members in congress they their views are wildly different and you do have these districts that have been gerrymandered in ways in some places that i think give rise to more extreme viewpoints um and and or more extreme candidates and people embracing them so i do think that some of this is um just a, a factor of how much more let's say diverse you guys is the word mccarthy's caucus is even than the senate even though we have 
have seen that become more extreme as well. Um, and I think that this is something to think about. I mean, I was thinking ahead of this conversation, Mina, about California. And, and are there districts here where we could see somebody like that um, elected? And I think that, you know, we don't have the same um, – partly because we have an independent redistricting commission, we just haven't seen districts drawn uh, in the last census in a way that maybe gives as rise to this in the same way that you might in other states. Well, Marsha writes, Marjorie Taylor Greene is of intense interest to all of us because she is the GOP. She is a cancer on the nation. Trump was one person, too. Let me go to our next caller, Jackie in Napa. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how are you today? I'm well. Go Thank ahead. Thank you for taking my car, my call, and I love KQED. Oh, I'm so but glad. But I just wanted to say I'm not understanding why Marjorie Green is not only stripped of her committee assignments, but also expelled from Congress. I don't know how those voting today cannot remember January 6th and what happened that day. Five people died. Someone needs to be held responsible, but Marjorie Green is a a toxic person to have in our Congress. And I hope they make the right vote today. Greg Lustein, Jackie, is echoing sentiments that I've heard. Has the country not learned anything from the insurrection of the consequences of normalizing right-wing extremism and maybe expelling her from the House is the way to get that message across? But, But what is... Your reaction to this question about, because we also had it raised by another commenter in terms of stripping committee assignments, why not just expel her? Yeah, it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great part of the debate because um, expelling her would also obviously send even a, a more strident message. But look, stripping her of her committee assignments is a pretty big step. It's, it's in some ways it's unprecedented in this in this form, and and I think too it sends a direct message. Um, to House Republicans who put her on the Education Committee, despite her saying that the shootings at at Parkland were hoaxes, right? I mean that that, that was just seen as a slap in the face um, to the education system, and so you know, short of expelling her, um, which maybe the Democratic Caucus didn't feel like they had the the, the numbers or the the will to do so, um, this you know this isn't a constitutional battle. It looks like you. There, 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 there doesn't look like there could be a legal challenge to stripping her, or at least a, a formidable legal challenge to stripping her of her committee posts. Um, so it was sort of a, um, you know, in between measure. You know, it didn't go as far as expelling. It's also easier. I mean, you know, they only need right. I think a majority, a majority, a majority mm-hmm. for the committees, and they would yes. need two thirds, which would require Republicans. And as of now, not a single Republican. I'm watching C-SPAN Live has uh, voted yep. to take her out of the committees. I mean, that's the thing, Greg Bluestein. She's she's got supporters, or at least w- people who are willing to protect her in Congress. And I think there is this bigger question raised by the pre- previous commenter about she is the Republican Party. How important is this constituency of I can't think of a better word than extremists here? This constituency of extremists for the Republican Party as a voting block that they can't afford to lose. Look, we saw it in Georgia in the run-up to the runoffs, those Senate runoffs. Republicans would privately tell me left and right how concerned they were about Marjorie Taylor Greene's impact on the overall party. And yet, after she won the nomination, after she won the Republican nomination, which in that district was tantamount to just winning, uh, put her on the cusp of Congress because the, the, there was no real Democratic challenger to her there, um, 
they would not speak out against her. They were so worried about alienating President Trump, who had called her a rising star the morning after she won the Republican nomination. And they felt like they couldn't risk turning the president or any of his supporters off, especially with Senate runoffs uh, you know, right down the road. And I think just in watching that those hearings a few minutes ago, one of the only Republicans in Georgia to speak out against Marjorie Taylor Greene, this is before she won the nomination, was Congressman Austin Scott from South Georgia. Um, he said that her remarks were abhorrent and, and that she doesn't deserve to have a place in Congress. Well, when it came to defending her just now on the House floor, he was one of the few Republicans, he was one of the first Republicans to stand up and say um, that while he doesn't agree with any of her controversial remarks, she, she still deserves a place in these committees. So that just shows you uh, her hold and that sort of hold on the Republican Party. And I think the broader question, Marisa Lagos, is what does that mean for our democracy? Yeah, and I think this speaks, I mean, I wasn't trying to underplay the seriousness of Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments or what she represents within our political system. I mean, to that earlier caller's point, my point was more around process, like is is Democrats stirping her of her committee assignment really going to come back to haunt them politically because, you know, so many voters would see that as a power grab. I mean, I think the larger conversation here is incredibly important. And it is so frightening to me as somebody who has dedicated my life to trying to get out good information and trusting the public to make their own decisions with that. Just how much information there is out there, how many people are getting information from untrustworthy sources who don't trust those of us in, in the mainstream media. I think that that poses, I mean, real, real problems um, to our the, the future of our democracy. And when you add that with these far right uh, white supremacist groups who have really taken hold in, in some circles, um, it is a it is a frightening time. And it's something that we need to tackle head on. And I think that that's why a lot of people who say, oh, this is a distraction or, you know, why are Democrats going down this road? Um, I think if you talk to people who study extremism, they would say that absolutely there needs to be sort of strong rebukes of this type of thing um, and pushback because we've seen over the past few years when there wasn't that, how easy it is for these, you know, conspiracies to flourish and then for someone like her to get elected, quite frankly. And we're talking with Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show, and Greg Bluestein, politics and government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And let me go to caller Matt in Moraga. Hi, Matt. Yeah, hi. I just I just wanted to make a comment. Basically, uh, you know, this this idea about Steve King, he, he, he uh, McCarthy talks about how he, they, stri they stripped him of his committee assignments Da, da, da. He had been racist for decades before they did anything about him. And, and seriously, Kevin McCarthy, I don't, I don't know how this guy, how did he, maybe somebody knows there, how did this guy, who, who clearly has issues with even speaking coherently, become a leader in the, in the Republican Party? I, I don't get that. Uh, can, can somebody explain to me how, how he literally cannot speak in coherent sentences? Matt, let me go to Marisa on that. Marisa? I'm laughing over here. I mean, I actually, I think um, you could take uh, Nancy Pelosi to task too for her public speaking to some extent. But, you know, I think McCarthy is good 
at the game. And and I think Pelosi is too. I mean, what you have to consider is that when these folks get elected from safe districts and they rise into leadership positions, that is more, and I, we've said this on the show before, I mean, I know we've had this conversation, like your power in those situations isn't necessarily about, are you a great orator? Are you a great politician, a retail politician? It is, are you good at keeping your membership together, right? Are you good at the kind of behind the scenes meetings, making people who have different priorities and constituents uh, happy? And I think that that is exactly the reason that you see someone like McCarthy unwilling to um, really publicly rebuke uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, take her off those committees, because he's trying to keep his entire caucus happy. And, um, you know, I I mean, if if that caller or others live in California and what I mean, Democrats could try to mount a challenge to McCarthy in his district. Um, it, I think it would be a challenge. But, it you know, we've seen uh, some other districts slip in California that nobody thought would go that way. Well, that co- that conference, that Republican conference, I'm just reminded of how McCarthy both defended Representative Liz Cheney and protected Marjorie Taylor Greene exactly. in the same conference, which gives you a sense of how he tries to hold his remember, caucus remember Jerry together. Brown's line, paddle a little to the left, paddle a little to the right. I mean, I think that's kind of the 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 way uh, leaders in in these caucuses uh, try to to do their job. Often, though, I am seeing rising concern that Kevin McCarthy appears not to have basically a North Star, for lack of a better way of describing it. I mean, who knows what's possible? But Red writes, the core issue is not QAnon or even Parkland. The core issue is that she's called for the execution of members of Congress. QAnon is a free speech issue. Inciting murder is not. In other words, find a way to make the Republicans declare in a public way what they believe. This listener writes, the deal breaker for me is the video of her stalking and, and harassing David Hogue. She should be expelled from office. There's no place for her level of toxicity in government, Marvin writes, a private apology doesn't fly with me. She needs to reverse her stance publicly and publicly state that conspiracy theories are not real. Greg Bluestein, she did walk back her comments. I, I don't know exactly what she said because, again, we're relying on reports of a private apology, as Marvin points out. So whether it was a true apology or not, or what she truly believes and what she's saying, those are all real questions. Where do you land? on her in terms of how much she, she adheres to these ideas. Yeah, look, I know that in her 10 minute or so speech on the House floor, she didn't apologize for many of those comments. She walked back some things here and there. She, For instance, she said 9-11 happened, <laughs> which is um, remarkable in its own way. Um, but she didn't express um, contrition or, or apologize for some of her past statements. And look, I can tell you from on the ground here in Georgia, as someone who's covered her since the moment she got in the first house race she got in in suburban Atlanta to the moment she switched races to run in Northwest Georgia, we've given her all sorts of opportunities to apologize, to to make statements about QAnon, her belief in QAnon or, or a range of other things. And what she did, she did was a um, kind of an extension of what you saw on the house floor not that long ago, which was instead of uh, apologizing or walking back those statements, um, she blames the media. She attacks the media. Mm-hmm. When I asked her at one event, if she still believed in QAnon, point blank. I said, I want to give you the chance to, to say this for, for Georgia voters because um, there was 15 or so cameras there. Um, instead, she started attacking me for reporting on the what she calls the Russia hoax, when in fact my job is, is, is to cover state politics. I don't really cover um, uh, you know the impeachment proceedings up in Washington as much. So she just decided, chose to, to rail against um, you know the, what she calls the Ru- Russia hoax instead of remark using that opportunity um, to to clear the air as she w- as she could have right, uh, and that happens over and over again. What we're seeing is a cycle. It's 
um, she likes to she likes to uh, be play the victim here to say that she's the grieved that she's being silenced that she's being censored, and and then to take that uh, refuse to apologize raise money and to do it all over again say something incendiary say something um, you know controversial get attacked for it and then say look I'm being censored all over again when she's the one with the microphone on the house floor. The playbook exists. We'll see how far it goes. Anne writes, Democrats should stop falling for all the Republican threats. Just say stop dishonestly using the slippery slope argument. This is about accountability and taking responsibility for your actions. Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Greg Bluestein, politics and government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Marisa Lagos, always glad to have you on as well. Thanks, Mina. Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent for KQED, co-host of KQED's Political Breakdown Show. Thank you to Susan Britton for producing this segment. Thank you to Blanca Torres and Mandy Wynn for producing our earlier segment with Secretary Shirley Weber. And thanks to our listeners for listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.